Well, there was a message in that song, wasn't there? Absolutely. Father, we thank you that we have the wonderful privilege of being able to pray, to be able to communicate with you the God who made this universe, great God you are, who also lives in our lives for those of us who have come to know you. We thank you that we can have such an intimate, personal relationship with you, Lord. Uh, Nothing could be better and anything that we could ever hope to know or experience in this world but to know you. We just thank you that we can talk to you, we can tell you what's on our heart, and we can ask you, Lord, to touch our lives and to touch those lives of those who we are sharing with. We know that the battle is indeed won as we're on our knees. And so we just pray now, even as we open your word yet again on another Sunday morning, that you will speak to us afresh. We want to hear the word of God, we want to hear you speak, and we pray you'll do that, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm conscious of speaking something that's true for all who stand here in the pulpit is something I remember reading some time ago, that the rule of thumb for those who preach and teach is if you, after 10 minutes you have not struck oil, stop boring. So I've got 10 minutes to know if or not we've struck oil and that God is doing a work here in whatever I'm sharing from the word. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Stories told about a woman who had been to a church member for years was asked by this particular individual, tell me, what exactly do you believe? She said, I believe what my church believes. And he went on to say, well, what does your church believe? She said, oh, my church believes what I believe. (laughs) He then asked, well, since you believe what your church believes and your church believes what you believe, what do you and your church believe? And she replied, we both believe the same thing. (laughs) I wonder what it is that we believe this morning about what it takes to be an effective ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder what we believe today. Let's find out from God's word. The title of the message this morning is God's Diplomatic Corps which is the French word core for body. And so we're God's diplomatic body that is out as ambassadors wanting to represent him. And let's see what Paul said on this very theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure 
in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body of dying of Jesus, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And skipping over to chapter 5 of Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wonderful passages of scripture that Paul talks about in the book of 2 Corinthians. You know, it is, isn't it, an amazing privilege if for some reason today you and I were uh, received a phone call. I mean, it would be unbelievable. Probably won't happen, I'll be honest with you. But it would be amazing nonetheless if the President of the United States, don't want anybody to get their hopes down. I don't think the phone call is going to happen. But it would be nonetheless amazing if you were in a position of that kind of responsibility where the President said, I want you to represent our country as an ambassador. You say, well, that's really hard to identify with. I can't really get into that one, so what about this? What if at your job or wherever you are at your place of business or in some school situation you're in that you are asked, you are appointed, someone says, we want you to represent our company. We want you to represent where we work. We, we look to you at the school or whatever it is to be the one who's going to be the spokesperson for us. It would be quite an honor, wouldn't it? Because obviously there's something that uh, they see in you, there's something that, uh, a job that they have for you that they want to call you to this kind of responsibility. Well, really, doesn't it all pale in comparison to whatever that situation is that God looks at you here today, if you know him, and you look around and you see these brothers and sisters who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has called you and says, I want you to represent me. I want you to represent my kingdom and you say, well, you know, I feel incredibly inadequate for that task. Um, you know your faults. You know the week you had. You know your failings. You know your temptations. And yet because of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, he sees you as called for the task to represent him in his strength. And this is what we're going to see in Corinthians. I can't think of another task that's more important. And whatever you do, starting when you walk out this door to when you come back in here next Sunday morning and whatever we all do in between Sunday to Saturday, that we're representing him in this kind of way. What are the key things? And there's a number of them, but for time's sake, there's a couple of key things here in Corinthians 4 and Corinthians 5 that are really important to remember. And you might know this already. The first key that I'd like to suggest from the first two verses of Corinthians 4 is to remember this, 
that the treasure you possess, it's very, very important that we share it with clarity, with clear words. We'll touch more on this in verse, uh, what it says in verse 1 in, in a little bit about the temptation to lose heart. But in verse 2, Paul says, you know, we're going to be different from the false teachers that were in Corinth at the time and who were really attacking his ministry. And so 2 Corinthians is really on that, where Paul's on his defense to show that he is genuine and that he knows the Lord and that he is not like them. And he says in verse 2, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or, or alternating uh, the word of God. But by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We manifest, or if you like another word, we reveal the truth when we tell it plain and in an understandable manner. This wonderful good news, this treasure that as believers today we possess. This has to do, of course, with our words, how we articulate this wonderful, glorious gospel message. The gospel, which another word is good news, ought to be made clear. We ought to be honest in our communication of it. And obviously, and importantly, like the Apostle Paul, sincere. I was talking to a young man just a week before last. Went out for coffee with him and he had some knowledge of spiritual things. Maybe like you here today. Maybe you're here someone today that has some knowledge of spiritual things. You've probably, like this young man, maybe you've heard these phrases, um, I've asked Jesus into my heart, which is what he told me. Funny enough, it was interesting that a man walking uh, door to door uh, saw him outside while he was working, doing some yard work. And to make a long story short, basically said, would you like to invite Jesus into your heart? And he said, yes, I would. Which is interesting and encouraging that shows that there's some kind of a spiritual interest in this man. But as we went on to talk over a frappuccino or two, probably too many frappuccinos that day at Starbucks, I realized that he really didn't know the gospel. I remember when I was in Ireland for a number of years when we would talk to people about the gospel, the good news, to a country where a large majority of the population had a, a spiritual, if you like, slash religious kind of background. It never really amazed me. I was always somewhat surprised, but learned not to be, that if I were to ask somebody, you know, just in the course of conversation, not trying to set them up or be mean or, you know, look for a way to, you know, confuse them purposely, but to say, what is the good news? What is the gospel? And some people would say, well, the gospel, and they would, you know, some people said, I have no idea. What's the good news? I mean, not just get away from that word gospel if that's Confusing. What is the good news that's contained in this book? And some people would say, well, it's the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'd say, well, this message is contained in those books. But what is the good news? And a large number of people said, I don't know. And I said, okay, I just want you to remember, you just told me you don't know. So now I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture that's found, and I'm sure many of you know it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to look at the first four verses that says this is an incredibly important message, whatever this good news is, because by it, 
I won't read from it, by the way, so you don't have to turn to it, but you, many of you already know it. By this, you are saved if you receive this message. But in order to be able to receive this message, you have to understand it. And say, I would say, so you don't know this, right? I don't know. Tell me. I had a number of wonderful conversations like that with people. They said, tell me, what is the good news? And then I would turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and I'd have them read verses 3 and 4. Where Jesus, Paul says that Christ died for our sins. That he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. And they would like say, well, I, I kind of knew that. You know, it wasn't like a foreign message to many of them, but it hadn't clicked and connected to where God had done that work in their head and in their heart. And they understood the significance of him dying on the cross was to take away the penalty of their sin. And the very fact that he rose again showed that God was satisfied with his work on Calvary's cross and that that work was for them. And then in case they wanted to say, well, I already knew that. I already knew that. I said, no, you didn't. With a smile. You know, it just wasn't about coming to blows here, you know, or no, you didn't, you know. I'd suggest if the Lord leads you and gives you an opportunity that you try, you can try that approach. There's hundreds of different methods. The most important thing is the message. But just to show somebody, well, you don't really know, do you? Paul was impor- uh, made it very clear that it's important to be clear on what the gospel is. I think there's a lot of folks around who are sincere, who probably think they know, but they don't. They don't know the message. Matter of fact, this young man said to me as we were riding back in this convertible, which is an experience in and of itself. He said, you know, you've explained something to me that I've never understood before. I haven't understood it this way. I said, well, this is something you need to chew on, isn't it? And I'm praying that God will work in his life and he'll come to know him. It is a wonderful message. And when we are sharing our faith, we have this situation, as Paul talks about in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, this good news, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Brothers and sisters, in our busyness and in our lives that get filled with lots of stuff, we must remember that people are perishing. That word is there. People are dying. You say, yeah, I see that all the time. But as we know from Scripture, it's not just physical death, but it's a second death. It's a spiritual death. It's a life of separation from God forever in hell. As our sister so wonderfully sang, when we pray, this battle, as Paul talks about, of how it is veiled to those who are perishing, this battle must first and foremost begin on our knees. You think of those that you know. Maybe you're here today and you know you say, I just don't quite get this message. And I say if afterwards, well, maybe it really wasn't me. That was confusing. Maybe it was. But really why you're not getting it is there's an enemy that wants to veil. There's a veil. And he's, he doesn't want you to get it. He doesn't want you to understand it and apply it into your heart and actually receive this Lord Jesus Christ into your life. He wants to confuse your mind. And clutter it with all of this stuff of maybe other things you've heard about other religions or so forth. Other false teachings. And it's all sounding kind of confusing. 
when Paul actually says, as you go through the gospel, it's a really clear message. It's a simple message that really anyone can understand if they want to. If this veil can be lifted, that has happened. And so we need to stay on our knees because we do have a world, as we, I think, have seen and been reminded about again over the last five or six weeks when we watch what's going on in the Middle East. You maybe watch what's going on in your own personal life or those around you closer to home. You would say, yes, it's an incredibly messed up and hurting world that's been blinded by the devil. Somebody has said it is suicide. It's suicide to the local church and the mission field to misstate or articulate the gospel. We must make it clear. And my prayer today and our prayer for one another is, is that when we share him, when we share this message, that God would help us to be clear and that people wouldn't walk away saying, well, I don't, you know, I didn't understand what you were saying. Maybe so we talk about it again. But we need to know. Right now, if someone were to say to you today, and you walk out, or you go to some restaurant after you leave here, or you're at your place of wherever you are tomorrow, and somebody says, please, you know, and this would be just wonderful. I think I've had this twice in my life, and I've been a Christian 30 years. Please, will you tell me how to be saved? Will you tell me? As the opening question, what would you do today? Would you say, well, I've got to call somebody. Who will tell me what to tell you. Or you know what? You go tell that person. Um, talk to them. They know. Could you walk someone through whatever the verses are in the Old or New Testament and show somebody how to lead somebody from death into life based upon what's in the Word of God? You're not doing the saving. I'm not doing the saving. But could we show them? Do you have a number of uh, verses at your arsenal at your belt, the belt of truth. Do you have it there to where you can lovingly, gently share those verses? If you do, and I trust because I hear a number of you who are here who memorize the word of God, and you equip your folks here, you do. That's good. The message is not about us. Paul says it's not about us. He says in verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves... We're not there to talk about ourselves, but somebody far more important than even ourselves. And that, of course, is Christ Jesus as Lord. That's who we preach. And the wonderful thing about the book of Acts, if you've read it recently or you have any familiarity with this wonderful book, is that it was something that's very simple and moving and winsome about the disciples when you watch what they were doing in that uh, book that really tells about the beginnings of the, the church. And really, if you say, you know, what, what were the common themes? I think there's four. And one of them was, is that they talked over and over again about the fact that Jesus is alive. That was what they told folks. You and I today, if we're Christians here this morning, we know Jesus is alive. It is the bedrock, the foundation of our faith that we have a living God who's alive. And I trust that that is something that still has an enthusiastic response from us when we think about the fact that we have a God who was dead, was dead in that uh, tomb, but he rose. He rose again. He did something that no one else had done. He rose from the dead, never to die again. You think about the fact of what he did and the hope that that means for you and I. 
This is a message we ought to preach. This is something we ought to share with genuine enthusiasm. And you think about today what you're enthusiastic about. For me, people know. They know me. I make it kind of obvious. I love weather. I love fires. I love drama in that whole realm. And they, people know it. That's what I talk about. I hope I don't bore people to death with that stuff. Because most people say, you know, they ask me, hey, weather's kind of cool today. Well, most people say, yeah, and they move on. I'll go into that for five more minutes and tell you why the weather's cool today. And I have to pull back and say, you know what, most people aren't interested in that. They don't want to know about cold fronts and warm fronts and high pressure and low pressure. And um, they don't want to know about fires and red flag warnings and all those kind of things and low humidity and all the things of northeast winds coming in September that kind of get me fired up because of the danger. of, And that's all kind of weird. And I get kind of enthusiastic about it. What are we enthusiastic about today? Are we enthusiastic about the Lord Jesus and the fact that he's alive? This isn't something you can just fake. I've tried. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've sometimes tried to fake that. And it really, it's just hollow. It doesn't really work. But when you're in tune, when you're on the same frequency as the Lord and you're spending time in his word and he's changing you from the inside out, then out of the outflow of your heart, this comes. And it's not just trying to pretend and be phony and say, well, I must talk about Jesus this week, but it's something that comes from the Spirit of God. And that's his work. Let's talk about Jesus this week and tell somebody that he's alive. You and I know the last week, if you've been watching the news and we've been hearing about what, thank God, uh, those in the intelligence field prevented, and obviously the Lord ultimately is in control. Don't understand how that all really all works, but events going on in our world right now have many on edge. People are fearful. They're anxious. Most, I don't know about you, but most people that I have talked with don't want to die. And it's hard to understand and identify with a group of people in different parts of our world who are more than willing to die for their cause. They're fanatical. They're terrorists. And they're extreme. And it's hard for us because we do what we can to prevent death. These folks are bent on it for their cause. Most want to know how to live. And that's why we need to tell them about the hope of eternal life that's found in Jesus Christ. Another thing that's important that the disciples talked about and the apostles when they were in, in the book of Acts is they not only said that he was alive, but they also made this point clear that he is here with us. The Lord Jesus is here with us. And so when people are fearful, it is encouraging for them to know that we have a God who promises to be with us and by our side no matter where we are. Whether you're up at 30,000 feet and you really don't want to be, but he's there with you. Or you're driving on 680, he's there with you. Or you're in some situation in an interview where you're nervous and you don't want to be there. You've got God with you. The fact that no matter what situation you're in where you really don't want to be there, you feel some trepidation, he's there. You think, you know what, well, I don't really know if I want to talk to somebody about you, Lord, because frankly, I'm kind of scared. I'm a bit nervous about it. I'm a bit embarrassed to mention this name Jesus and kind of the reaction I might get. Well, he's there with you. He's there taking you by the hand and said, okay, we're going to do this together. 
You know, and I'm going to be there with you and I'm going to give you the words to say. The words are going to come to your mind. And I'm going to give you courage. And you might have to, even under your breath as you're going to talk to somebody, say, Lord, give me courage. Because right now my heart's racing. You know, I may be a 35, 40-year-old man and I can do lots of things, but when it talks about somebody about Jesus, my heart's racing. I don't really want to do it. And yet we're called to represent him. Something else. Not only is he here with us, but he forgives sin. The apostles talked about how the Lord Jesus had lived on the earth, how he died and how he rose again. They talked about how forgiveness of sins was found in him. That he forgives sin. Again, this may be something that I hope isn't becoming somewhat bland to us in some kind of way. It's kind of like that thing you taste and it's like really sharp initially, but then you get kind of used to it and it doesn't really affect you any longer. The very fact that we have a God who promises in his word to forgive us of all our sins is nothing short of amazing. Amen? I mean, you think, I don't want you to know, and uh, if, if there was a billboard, it would have to be one of these ones that keeps moving, not just one billboard, but I wouldn't want you to know of all of my sin in my life to date. I don't want you to know that, to be honest. I have really no desire to have you all over in, this afternoon to my house and to tell you all of that. And God knows, sadly, what even sin will be committed before I go to be with him. Think of all the sin that we have committed, all the crimes against God that we have committed that are even in this room, collectively. Just this group of people, these dear people here. Scripture tells us that God has forgiven us of our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is something that people often don't understand. I remember this talking to this man about, uh, like I said, a week and a half ago or so, and, and I was trying to understand because basically what I kind of heard him saying was is it's something that you, you earn. Forgiveness is something you kind of buy. Um, it's something you kind of work at, and this is one of these wonderful guys that I wish I was, but I'm not. He can fix cars. Um, he knows electronics. Um, he can do anything, it seems, he wants to be a firefighter, which is a nice thing. I like him right away for that. But he's just gifted and, and able to do anything. My car broke down last week and he came and he fixed it. I was there scratching my head. I had absolutely no idea why I could not go into reverse when I was in park. I went on a driveway and I went, you know, I mean, we're all used to doing that and it won't move. I'm like, what? And I tried it again and it wouldn't move. And I said, I have no idea what's wrong. Cindy, you come and try. She couldn't get it to move. Called, called him up. He came over and he diagnosed the problem in 10 minutes. But in his conversation, what I kind of sense is because of this ability to be able to do so much and achieve, he kind of thinks he can achieve his way to God. He's kind of self-sufficient and probably in, it, in the root, a bit of pride and arrogance. This is something that we cannot do. We cannot save ourselves. And when we hear somebody say that they believe in Jesus and they kind of attach something about their works, something about they, what they do or what they don't do that makes it kind of a bona fide and kind of seals it, kind of adds that extra stamp of approval, well, then you, warning lights should be going off because they really don't understand that only the blood of Christ can forgive sin. So we need to listen for that. And if this morning here, we're thinking that we're going to heaven and for, in your own mind, in your own heart, you'd say, I believe it's to do with Jesus dying on the cross. But you also would say, and because I 
then you're adding something to the work of what Jesus did. And lastly, something that the apostles talked about and Paul's talking about in this message, this gospel, was is that it was free for anybody, anywhere. How often do you say, out of, does this phrase come out of your mind or out of your mouth? I can't afford that. Uh, the kids are at you for this. No, I can't afford that right now. Or your wife or your husband is saying that and you say, I can't. We can't afford that. We can't buy it. We can't pay for it right now. But the blood of Jesus does. It's free. That's why the chorus sings, and maybe you sing it here at San Ramon, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing I desire compares with you because of his worth. These things. He's alive. He promises to be with us. He forgives sin and his message, the gospel, it's free. Have you articulated with your words? Has the Lord given you opportunities this last week with your mouth to speak? To speak of Jesus in some way, shape or form. Paul says, and you don't need to turn to it in Corinthians uh, chapter 6. He says, our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. In the context of sharing our faith, is our heart open wide? Is our mouth speaking to those who are near us? Second key, and time is moving quickly on. Remember, not only do we reveal the truth, the gospel, by our words, but also by our example. And Paul says, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth. Truth is manifested not only with our words. Truth is revealed not only with our words, but also by how we live our lives, isn't it? That says something and backs up our message. When Jesus called the disciples, he said, you know what? I've got a job for you guys to do. And we all kind of know what that job is that Jesus told them to do. But what if the message had been, you know what? He said, I'm going to turn you guys loose and I want you to enjoy life. And I want you to pursue your own personal ambitions. And I want you to eat, drink and be merry for, you know what? Tomorrow you guys are going to die. We'd be horrified. We'd say, well, that's not the message I've heard in the Bible. And what kind of message is that? That would be incredibly uh, disappointing, to say the least. You know, he had a higher, much higher message than that for them, a much more... Uh, of a message that was for an eternal calling. He said, no, I want you guys to represent me here on earth. You ever had your boss tell you, in my absence, I want you to represent me. You're going to be me for the next two weeks. What picture, what picture of Christ do we give? as we represent him, as we're going to and fro. Hebrews eleven sixteen. God has a surname, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's just in the context he's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when I think of Hebrews eleven sixteen, I say, you know what? God has a last name, and he calls those men by his last name. He isn't ashamed to be called their God, the God of Isaac, and Jacob. 
How would the Lord feel? How do you think the Lord would feel today if your last name was attached? How would he feel having my name as his last? The God of Randy. The God of Adel. You know, the God of Dean. The God of Ken. The God of Mike. The God of Dan. There's a little phrase, I think I've shared it here before, where sometimes we are a little bit inconsistent in how we represent him. Bumper sticker said, I love Jesus. Next to that, the next bumper sticker on the right-hand side said, you touch in my car, I break your face. (laughs) Something's kind of inconsistent there. Gandhi said, if it weren't for Christians, I would have become one. If we are consistently, and I throw that out, consistently, because we all bomb in this area of at times being rude and short-tempered, and we quarrel, it's been said that we are more often than libels instead of Bibles, and that's our behavior. We're a libel. There's a liability there by our behavior if we are representing Jesus, and there's consistently something wrong with the way we're living. Contrast those, though, who make you think of Jesus Christ, though. When you're in their presence, there's a difference. Verse 6, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You say, that's a... That's quite a verse. I need, to, I need to read that one over again. I don't really, to be honest with you, fully understand what he's saying there. We'll read it again. Read it again today later. But what Paul is saying that is, is in the first creation, God commanded the light to shine. But in the new creation, God himself shines in our hearts. And he doesn't simply shine, and we must get this, brothers and sisters, to get beyond ourselves. He doesn't simply shine in our hearts to give us this knowledge. Rather, through us, the knowledge might shine to others. That's the big idea. It's not about just us acquiring this wonderful Savior and getting to know him and love him and let all of this knowledge come in, but it's in order that it might be exported, as an ambassador does in representing his or her country. Second Corinthians says, we are the fragrance. We are the fragrance of Christ. Last week I was in, in, in the radio room and I walked in and all of a sudden somebody after a couple minutes said, what's that smell? And I was like, well, you know, I just walked in so it had to be me, you know, and I kind of real quick did the, you know, and I, you know, and... Um, found out it wasn't as bad as that. It had to do with the fact of a certain cologne I was wearing, and it was actually a compliment. My wife has a particular perfume that she wears, and she's known for it, and a number of her close friends said, have said that even without seeing her, they know she's been around because they get a scent of that wonderful perfume. You know, you and I as brothers and sisters today, we should be known for wearing a particular perfume, huh? It's called the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that ought to be the aroma that we give off. 
And you know what? The wonderful thing about this bottle of perfume is you can't buy it. It can't be bottled or sold. But it's this glorious, mysterious perfume that rises and comes out as we have this relationship with God. And it's kind of like subtle. Like at work, this lady in my cologne, she couldn't figure it out. It was like, and it was actually went on for, to be honest with you, I'm having to shorten it, but it actually went on for about a minute or two, which is getting increasingly uncomfortable as the time went. And then she it realized it. I know that fragrance. And then it was the very one I had on. But when it comes to our fragrance with the Lord, hopefully people recognize it. There's, I smell something. There's something, there's something different here. There's something different about the way you speak. There's something different about the way you live your life. And I, I, don't really, you know, I don't really know you, but what is it? What an opportunity you have then. Too often, though, on the flip side, if what people know us by is moaning and groaning and complaining, and they don't see our joy, then we're kind of like the guy that I was running on the treadmill with next or last week who frankly stuck. Stunk so bad I had to move treadmills. It was that bad in a subtle way. Went and got a drink of water and came back to another treadmill. <laughs> wow, that, that was a wretch, wretched odor, with all due respect. We put off a foul odor if this is what's coming out. And you know if it is, acknowledge it. Say, you know what, I, I've been behaving like this, or I was wrong in that situation, and, you know, I'm sorry. That wasn't, a, that, that wasn't right. And that's really an issue here is, is there this unwillingness to change sometimes. We have to remember that God wants us to change, to be more like him. That's the whole idea that we'll be conforming more and more to the image of his son. And so I have found, and it's a humbling thing, that I have to say, I am sorry. Forgive me to my wife and girls who are now between the ages of 15 and 22 more times than I would like. But I know that if I don't, they're seeing hypocrisy. They can actually excuse to some extent and understand failing. But if it's hypocrisy and it's continuous and there's an unwillingness to say, you know what, I was wrong. Forgive me for the way I spoke to you in that situation. It warms them up. I had to talk to my daughter about kind of a sensitive thing a few days ago. I said, hey, can I talk to you about something? And I could kind of tell it was like she was saying, no, I don't really want you to. And so I just sat there. And she said, all right, go ahead. And I did. She knew what I wanted to talk to her about. And we talked for an hour. And I said, do you want me to stop? (laughs) I thought I could go too. So after an hour, I said, do you want me to stop? And she said, no, no. I like like what you're saying. There's a lot of wisdom here. And you know what? A lot of it, thank God, was I prayed prior. But it was the delivery in which how it was said. Didn't come over like this, me in this situation talking to her like this. But it was really like that. In that situation, that's what was required. Somebody has said, that man never crosses my pathway without me being better for it. He need only to shake his hand to know he is full of God. What a compliment that would be if that were said of us this coming week. You only need to shake their hand or be in their company for a couple minutes and you get a sense that that person is full of God. Somebody once said of a friend of mine years ago who went to be with the Lord after getting melanoma and he was only in his early 30s. That person said at his memorial service, he said, and his name was Rob Luce, he said, Rob reminds me of Jesus. Isn't that that good? Somebody would say that of us, that we would remind them 
of Jesus. Somebody had also said his preaching was good of another example, his writing better, but his life best of all. That's what it's about. Lastly, as we, as we wrap up, remember, thirdly, not to lose heart as we're representing God, as we're representing him, as being an ambassador with feelings of discouragement, weakness, and when failure occur, and inevitably they will, and they do. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, thank God, we do not lose heart. He went on also to say, with, for time I didn't read it, in verse 16 of the chapter, therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And he goes on to explain how we are these earthen vessels that are just shells, really, full of weakness, but not to be discouraged because it gives an opportunity for the power of God to be revealed. When you think of discouragement, Paul would have had a great ex- reasons to be discouraged. People in the church that he helped out stumbled badly. You read just some of the New Testament letters, 1 Corinthians case in point, Galatians and so forth. You know what? There was a lot of problems and struggles in the churches that he helped to find and plant. He could have been very discouraged and just said, forget it. But he kept on going. He went to prison numerous times. There were, if you remember the examples of what he even talks about here, as well as in Romans, there were shipwrecks and there were beatings and there were betrayals. And you would look at all this and say, well, this isn't a picture of victory. This is a picture of a a life of defeat, of just tragedy and heartache. So Paul knew what it meant, and yet he tells them twice in this situation, and he tells them in 1 Corinthians 15 as well, not to lose heart, to keep on going. He tells them in verse 7 in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he says, you know what, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Other translations, jars of clay. Jar of clay, something that is you drink from it, it can be broken and it gets discarded. The amazing thing is this treasure, this pearl, This gospel message, Christ himself. We have this message that he lives in us. This is a message that we know and we've received, and yet it's in earthen vessels. And you know, you often probably thought, well, you know, Lord, it's kind of interesting that of all the ways you could have communicated this message, all the ways with your wisdom, you've chosen to do it in and through us. And you often might say, well, why is that? Why? Well, Paul gives the answer. So that, look at verse 7, the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's it. God gets the glory. Any of the changes that are going on in your life and mine, he receives the praise rather than us wanting to praise ourselves. All the praise goes to the creator and not you and I, the creatures, who sometimes think we're bigger stuff than we are. Lastly, in wrapping up 2 Corinthians 5, I just remember Paul sometimes said in conclusion in Philippians, and he wasn't finished, but uh, wrapping up here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 and 20, which I read. When I read this, especially the verse that says in verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I, this phrase has always uh, struck me as though God were making an appeal through us. You think, well, how would God make an appeal if we could hear him? If we could physically hear the Lord Jesus in his witnessing. He spoke the truth. But I also believe he had passion. 
and in the right sense of the word, enthusiasm for the message that he was communicating about himself. How could it be that the Lord would be uh, unpassionate about talking about eternal life with someone? Paul tells them here, as though Christ, God, were making an appeal through us. Be reconciled to God with that kind of concern and love and compassion for the person that he's speaking with. You and I have discovered today, I trust, if there's someone in this room who has not, I trust today would be even the day that you would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those of you, you and I who have, we have discovered that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. We can't keep, we can't. It's ethically immoral to keep this truth to ourselves. If you and I had found the cure for a guilty conscience, if we have found food and water where we will hunger and thirst no more because we know this God, we're obligated. We're obligated to share it with others. 2 Corinthians 7.9 is a fascinating passage. You'll read it uh, during the day or the week. 2 Corinthians 7.9, but there's this interesting quote, and it's a wonderful story about what was going on with the king of Syria laid siege to the city of Samaria and the food was supplied been cut off and these four men with leprosy they decided it would be preferable to die at the hands of the Syrians than to starve and they went to surrender to the enemy but when they came to the camp they found that it was deserted the army had fled in the night but there was something that was really wonderful food was everywhere And the four guys, they came and they stuffed themselves. It says in the text in 2 Corinthians that they were tempted to remain silent about the good news. But then the memory of Samaria with its famished inhabitants and all of those guys came back to them. And they said this, we are not doing right. They became evangelists and they went back and they told folks of all the food. They didn't keep it for themselves. They said, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. And we remain silent. And they changed when they thought of that. Let's pray. Lord, I think of when you touched that blind man in Mark's gospel. And he said, what do you see now? He said, I see men as trees. And then you touched him again, Lord, and he said, I see men clearly as they are. Father, I pray today that you'll take the log jams out of our eyes from our hearts and that we'll see people as they really are, people who are, have a soul, people who are in desperate need of you. I pray that you will give us a heart increasingly more like your own, that will have a desire to very proudly and humbly boast of you to those who we would come in contact with. Lord, we pray for the salvation of anyone here today. Lord, we pray for the salvation of any of our family or friends or co-workers that have been on our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that you'll just lead us and give us renewed zeal, boldness, and wisdom to share you with our lips and with our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.